If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to be turning to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we'll be there in just a moment. I want to start uh, with a question this morning, and that is, uh, how good are you at following directions? Uh, Maybe you're the person who goes up to the door, and the door says, pull, and you're sitting there pushing, wondering what the problem is, and you do that for an uncomfortable amount of time. Uh, Maybe you're the person who uh, got a device for Christmas or some new gadget, and you're sitting there trying to figure it out when instruction numero uno is turn it on or plug it in, you know, and you have failed to, to read the instructions. Uh, or, or maybe um, you're like me, I, I've got this uh, dehumidifier in my crawl space, and it very clearly when you go and look at the instructions, it's got uh, a little one of those little sump pump things on it, and if you don't put a little bleach in there uh, over a period of time, uh, like 18 months and three days, something like that, uh, it gets clogged up, and you have to you have to call the man, Aunt B. You've got to call him to come out and to fix it and to, to replace the thing. Uh, probably more important than the question, you know, are you good at following directions, is the question, how are you at following Jesus? Uh, Jesus uh, never said to follow your heart. He said repeatedly to follow me. Uh, what do you think that might have been like for those to, to hear those two words from Jesus? To hear those words, follow me. Uh, take a moment and watch this clip from the TV series, The Chosen. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes.
didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Now, we, we don't know if that's exactly how the scene played out in Scripture, but the Word says in Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus went on from there, after he, had, after he had healed the paralytic by telling him to pick up his mat and walk, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. I, I love in the clip how the apostle Peter, how, how he's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, did, you know, do you, do you know who this is? This is a tax collector. He's one of us, but he's betrayed his people by getting in bed with the Roman government. Do you know who, who this guy is? He's, he's different. And Jesus just looks at him and says, get used to different. That's how I roll. That is, that's the message translation um, as well. Actually, actually all the, that's not all in Scripture, but you, you can just see some of these questions that are rolling through the minds of the other disciples as Jesus is picking up one by one new disciples that don't think like them, that don't, you know, act like them, you know, and, and He's adding them to the circle. Matter of fact, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus says, follow me some 22 times. Here's just a few. Look on the screen. Matthew 4, 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That was Peter's invitation. Matthew 8 and 22. But Jesus told them, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Matthew 10, 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Matthew 16 and 24, then Jesus said to His disciples, whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Me. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow Me. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. John 1, 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 27, my sheep, they listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. John 12, 26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. In John 21, verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then He said to him, 
follow me. John 21, 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Uh, I left out the passages from Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel because they are primarily duplicates of Matthew's gospel being one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But you see this reoccurring phrase time and time again in the Gospels, Jesus uttering these, these two words, this simple invitation, follow me. And in Jesus' day, uh, we, we know through other literature and, and, and through uh, Scripture as well, we know that there, there were rabbis that, or teachers and the, and the best of the best they would have the opportunity to, to come alongside and they would have the opportunity to apprentice under these rabbis. And so the rabbi, after interrogating a young student to see if they had the intelligence, to see if they had the drive, to see if they had the, the acumen, uh, if the rabbi discerned that the student was worthy, he would turn to the student and he would say, follow me. And in so doing, there really was three goals that the student had at that time. Students, what if you just had uh, three goals when you went to school? I mean, you, you get these syllabuses and you get all of these different objectives and things. What if there were just three? Like that was it. You'll see them on the screen. Here, here they were. Goal number one, to be with your rabbi. Goal number two was uh, to become like your rabbi. And then goal number three, bless you, was to do what your rabbi did. This is what following me meant in the first century, and I would argue this is what following me begins to mean in the 21st century. So we don't want to just be a bunch of people who know the Bible. That's great. But rather by God's grace, we want to see you grow and mature to a place where you begin to join Jesus's kingdom work in Birmingham, Alabama, as it is in heaven. Or wherever you find yourself listening to my voice online, that you join Jesus's kingdom work in that place as it is in heaven. But here's the thing about following Jesus. It, it doesn't really work all that well if it's just a hobby. Or if it's just a weekly ritual that has no impact on the rest of your week. Like, well, you know, I'm into Jesus and I'm into pickleball. Like, those are, that's kind of, it doesn't work that way. Now, fo following Jesus is, is, is more than that. It's, 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 it's making the most sense when it's the whole point of your life. And that doesn't mean that you need to quit your job and become a preacher or become a children's minister or become a youth minister or to drop out of school so that you can uh, study the Bible more. That's, that's, that's not what it, it means. But rather, it means that you follow Jesus as a banker, you follow Jesus as a teacher, as a, as a student. When you go to school, it, it means to follow Jesus as a painter or maybe a full-time parent or, or maybe you're in a season of retirement. Where you're at, the invitation, come follow me, is, is for everyone. 
And it's not an invitation from me, your, your preacher. It's not an invitation uh, from even uh, your parents or the, the elders and shepherds of this church. It's an invitation from Jesus to follow me. Uh, maybe you spend some time reading the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 this week. Uh, I know from year to year, we, uh, several of you will start a, a Bible reading plan where you, you read through the Bible. And, and, and honestly, I, you know, if, that's, if that works for you, I, I, you know, I encourage you to do that. Um, I, I can tell you that you know, my philosophy on that has kind of shifted over the years. I mean, I, I have thousands of dollars invested in theology degrees, and I don't read through the whole Bible every single year. Shocker. Um, but what I've, I've learned is, is that, you know, there are, are, are times where there's are certain passages and texts, and the, and the Sermon on the Mount is one that I, I revisit often, that if I just sit in there for a little while, that God begins to do a work in, in me, and we're, we're, not looking, we're not looking just for behavior modification. Uh, what, what we are interested in, because we believe it what Jesus was interested in is, is inward transformation. And so read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read it multiple times this week. And just ask yourself the question, am I becoming like that? I want to become the type of person where it's easier to love my enemy than to hurt them or to gossip about them. I want to become the type of person where it's easier to trust God than to live in a constant state of worry and anxiety, where I have to control everyone and everything, and my anxious spirit makes those around me miserable. Um, each January for the past several years, uh, I've read uh, one book. Uh, well, correction, I've. I've, I read two, I've read the Bible in January before, um, kind of my job, but I've read another book as well, um, and it's a book by an author and pastor named Gordon McDonald. It's the book, Ordering Your Private World. And McDonald says that we must come to see ourselves as living in two very different worlds. Our outer or public world is easier to deal with. It's much more measurable, visible, and expandable. Our outer world consists of work and play and possessions and a host of acquaintances that make up a social network. It is the part of our existence easiest to evaluate in terms of success, popularity, wealth, and beauty. But our inner world is more spiritual in nature. Here is a center in which choices and values can be determined, where solitude and reflection might be pursued. It is a place for conducting worship and confession, a spot where the moral and spiritual pollution of the times need not penetrate. Our Western cultural values have helped to blind us to this tendency. We're naively inclined to believe that the most publicly active person is the most privately spiritual. 
Uh, we assume that the larger the church, the greater its heavenly blessing. The more information about the Bible a person possesses, we think the closer that he or she must be to God. And because we tend to think like this, there's a temptation to give imbalanced attention to our public worlds at the expense of the private. More programs, more meetings, more learning experiences, more relationships, more busyness until it all becomes so heavy at the surface of life that the whole thing trembles on the verge of collapse. Fatigue, disillusionment, failure, defeat, all become frightening possibilities. The neglected private world can no longer hold the weight. He leadeth me, O oh, blessed thought. But if I'm honest, I'd rather lead myself. Because when I lead myself, then I'm in control. And I love me some control. What if we really honestly sent, sang the lyrics that were in our heart? I mean, I, I love the lyrics of these old hymns. They, they speak to me. They give me vocabulary. They, they give me language that resonates. But if I'm honest, there's times where my my heart is not in sync with what I'm singing. In his book, Following Jesus, author Henry Nouwen says, often we are more wanderers than followers. I'm speaking of myself as much of you. We are people who run around a lot, do many things, meet many people, attend many events, read many books. We are very involved. We experience life as many, many things. We go here, we go there, we do this, we do that, we speak to him, we speak to her, we have this to do and that to do. Sometimes we wonder how we can do it all. If we sit down and think about it, we're often running from one emergency to another. We're so busy and so involved, yet if we are asked what we're so busy with, we don't really know. It's into this deeply tired world of ours that God sends Jesus to speak the voice of love. And Jesus says, follow me. Don't keep running around, follow me. Don't just sit there, follow me. The voice of love is the voice that can completely reshape our life from a wandering or just sitting there life to one that is focused and has a point to go to. Follow me. James Hudson Taylor was born in England on May 21st, 1832. You see a picture of him on the screen, looks like a pretty regular guy. I was first drawn to his story because we, we share the same birthday. Granted, it's a century and a half apart, but we share the same birthday. 
And he, he began working as a bank clerk, but he had to quit because of his eyesight. And his life uh, would be forever changed when he found what's known as a, a tract. Now students, let me explain to you what a tract is, okay? A tract is a little piece of paper uh, or a little pamphlet that has some information about it. You still find them from time to time, you know, in bathrooms, um, you know, which I think is a very precarious place to, to leave a tract. Uh, but, but nonetheless, it was actually by accident that that Hudson Taylor found a tract. It usually tells of, you know, the, the, the biblical story or to tell of the plan of salvation. And it was by accident that he found this tract and he began to read it. And as he was reading it, he began to become convicted of his sin and ended up giving his life to Christ. He was baptized in 1852. And the Lord placed this burden on his heart to move to China and share the gospel. So after a couple of years of studying medicine, he moved to Shanghai, China. And he would later write that the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. Get this. He said, butter and milk and other luxuries I cease to use. Now, how many of us this morning would consider butter and milk luxuries? And so he lived on rice and oatmeal from that day forward. He even adopted wearing native Chinese clothing, which was very rare among missionaries at that time. He would spend six years in China and then return to China some 10 times, usually for a couple years each time between 1866 and 1905 when he died. It was estimated that he spent four to five years of his life just traveling on water. It oftentimes take three or four months to get there back in those days. Four to five years of his life just, just traveling to get there. His campaign against the opium trade is, is one reason that he's been referred to as one of the most significant individuals to visit China in the 19th century. Historian Ruth Tucker said, no other missionary in the 19th centuries since the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision and has carried out a more systematized plan of converting a broad geographical area than Hudson Taylor. It's estimated that his efforts brought some 18 to 20,000 Chinese to faith in Christ. Uh, if you read the Gospels, you, you hear how Jesus speaks. In John chapter 15, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. As one translator puts it, I have made my home in you so you can make your home in me. We, we realize that, that right where we are, right here in this body, with this face and these hands and this heart, we are the place where God can dwell. And John shows us that the place of God is the intimate life of God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing in perfect community. They form this family of love to which we are invited to. And following Jesus is really saying, this is the way to enter into that family of love. So how do we respond? 
Uh, I want to give us three potential responses this week. Very simple words are not going to challenge anybody's vocabulary this morning. It's very simple words. The first word is this, is to listen. Uh, yes, we, we listen to God through his word, and we're going to talk more about that next week, but often God places his servants in our lives that we would do well to listen to. So in John chapter 1, verse 35, the word says that the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And, and here's, here's the verse that I had never noticed until this week, John 1, 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, when they heard John the Baptist say, look, the Lamb of God, when they heard him say this, they what? They followed Jesus. We know one of the disciples is Andrew, because it tells us that a few verses later. Uh, it's believed that the other disciple is, is the author of the book, John. They listen to John the Baptist say, look, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God. Old Testament tells us that Samuel was sleeping in the temple and the Lord says, Samuel, Samuel. He then goes to Eli and the priest says, I keep hearing this voice. And, and Eli says, go back to bed. And, and finally, Eli realizes that, that God was calling the boy and says, God is speaking to you. And later when Samuel hears the voice again, he responds, here I am, Lord. Speak. Your servant is listening. First Samuel 3. Without Eli, Samuel would not have known that God was speaking to him. Without John the Baptist, John and Andrew would not have looked at Jesus. Who might the Lord be placing in your life this week that you need to listen to? Second one is this, is the question is to ask. It's the word ask. Uh, after listening, we have to ask. In the, in the very next verse in John 1, John and Andrew ask, where, where do you live? What, this is what they ask Jesus. Where do you live? It's because they, they, want, they want to be with him. And so we want to have some idea of what you're about. And you have to ask. I have to ask. Keep asking, Lord, how, how is it to be with you? I, I want to follow you, but I'm not sure. And this is where I believe our, our prayers start. Our prayers start when we say, Lord, give me some sense of who you are. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants anymore, I call you friends because I tell you everything, John 15. Church, we have to pray for that kind of interest. Lord, I just want to know you. Give me a sense of who you are so I can speak out of that experience. 1 John 1 and 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, that this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is what I want for us, church, to want to talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. Uh, over the next 21 days, uh, our prayer team is going to, to send us uh, a daily prayer devotional. Uh, you'll get it in your email inbox each day. And I would encourage you to, to let that be a prompt for you. And, and yes, we, we want the next 21 days to turn into 365 days. There's nothing magical about 21 days. 
But starting tomorrow, I want, I want to encourage you, listen to your brothers and sisters in this way and allow their prayerful encouragement to encourage you to keep asking. Then in John 1 as, as you just continue through that chapter, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and here's what the word says, they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So the third response is, is to dwell. I know I'll have a hundred thoughts and a million things to do, but I know you love me and invite me. Even when I'm antsy and anxious, I'm going to dwell. I love that in Mark chapter nine, when, when Peter looks at Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and he just says, it's good to be here. You ever had that, that that thought just when, when we're singing together or, or just fellowshipping together, you know, just to have that thought, you know, mm, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life right now. There's a lot of disappointments. There's a lot of things that have happened that I can't control. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life, but it's just good to be here. What would it look like for you this week if you set aside a few minutes each day to dwell? Don't say I'm too busy. Don't say I have better things to do. Just be there every day. Pray and discover. Listen, ask, and dwell. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, uh, we ask that you'll help us in this moment to set aside all that has preoccupied us as of late. And I pray that we give you the many fears that rage around us. I pray that we give you the many feelings of insecurity. And let us be shaped by you, the Lamb of God. I remind us of your faithfulness and your goodness. Help us to, to enter more deeply into your silence where we can listen to you and hear how you call us and find the strength and the courage to follow you. And I ask that you be with each of us as we listen to your word and come to a deeper understanding of your mystery of calling us to follow you. And you'll be with us now and always. As Craig mentioned a few moments ago, we pray as your son taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the church said, amen.